And take your Bible, if you will, this morning, open up to two places. I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we've been based out of. And then I want you to open up and find the book of Joshua chapter 6. We're going to go primarily to Joshua 6, but, well, this is called the Faith Chronicles. And consequently, um, we're going to start in chapter 11, where we've been basing out of for this entire series uh, and so find that, and we'll look at it, uh, both of those, in just a minute. And again, let me reiterate, Chase, welcome to those who are joining us uh, by live stream uh, all over this country and in, uh, in foreign lands as well. We're glad to have you as a part of our worship broadcast, many of our own folks who are quite not, com- uh, not, uh, not quite yet comfortable in uh, returning, and we understand all of that. But I'm so glad that you're here today. We've already had a great uh, early uh, service uh, this morning. And I anticipate just another one here as I get, the, I get the privilege of sharing with you the Word of God. And I hope it'll be a great help and encouragement uh, to you. You know, last week I talked to you about uh, a faith and uh, fear. And this week I want to talk to you about faith and uh, how it leads to victory. How does our faith help us experience victory? That's what will be, that's kind of the theme. That's why it's entitled Walls That Fall by Faith. I heard a story about a, a, a pastor, a new pastor in his church, and uh, it just so happened that on a particular Sunday, he hadn't been there long, and uh, one of the teenage boy Sunday school teachers could not be there, and so they asked the pastor, would you fill in in this? Uh, well, he said, I'd love to. He said, you know, I'd like to know what they know and that sort of stuff about the Bible. So he went in to uh, sub kind of for that teacher that day in Sunday school, and and he thought he would test the knowledge of these uh, teenage boys. And, and so he, asked, he said, I want to ask you a question today. The question is, uh, who uh, tore down the walls of Jericho? And there was a long pause, and uh, nobody said anything. And then finally, they began to speak up a little bit. And here's what they said, I didn't do it. <laughs> and all the way around the room, was, I didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. They all denied it, and actually it kind of appalled the preacher. You know, this is the level of knowledge. And so when he went to deacons meeting that month, he decided he would report to the deacons about his experience with these teenage boys and their lack of, of knowledge about things. And uh, he said to, to the deacons, not one of those boys were able to tell me who knocked down the walls of Jericho. And there was silence among the deacons. And then finally, after a while, a kind of seasoned veteran of the deacons uh, spoke up. And he said, well, preacher, he said, listen, this appears to be bothering you a lot. But he said, I I just need to say, I have known all of these boys since they were born. And frankly, they're good boys. And if they say they didn't do it, I believe them. (laughs) And he said, so why don't we just take a uh, why don't we just take some money out of the uh, uh, repair and maintenance fund, fix the walls, and let's let it be that and go on. Well, most of us really do know the story of Jericho, I suspect, in this place today. Most all of us know that. Uh, I've been to the site of Jericho several times, and right now we will be taking, right now our Holy Land trip is still on in December. If we go, I always take groups to Jericho. We always go to Jericho and walk around the remains of Jericho in the Holy Land. But the real point of the story is not that the walls fell down, but it is how those walls fell down. And the simple fact is they fell down by faith and obedience. That's what caused them to fall. And that's why this story makes the chronicles of faith. That's why it's listed there, because it is by faith that these walls 
uh, faith and obedience that these walls came down. Now, if you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word, and we're going to go to both of these places, all right? Verse 30 is where we start, verse 30, and then we're going to go over to Joshua 6. Verse 30 says this in Hebrews 11, by faith, that's the phrase, remember that's the operative phrase, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. All right, that's the statement about Jericho. Now go over to Joshua chapter 6, and this is what uh, uh, what you might say, the, the complete uh, or the rest of the story. This is the whole story right here. In verse 12, we're going to pick up with, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and they returned into the camp. So they did, for, uh, did so for six days. And on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Father, thank you for this great story. I pray that this morning you will help us to, uh, Father, see the truth from your word about how our faith and obedience, uh, Father, bring victory in our life. And Father, would you teach us, if there are any walls in our life, how to knock the walls down by trusting you, by walking with you, and letting you do what we cannot do. Speak to us now from your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, you probably, and keep your Bibles open to Joshua 6, because I'm going to refer to some verses that are pertinent to this story that we did not read. But you know if you know anything about the book of Joshua, you know this, that it is a book about conquest. It is the, it is the story of Israel moving into the promised land. The promised land is called the promised land because it held great promise for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, but also because God had promised it to them. And so this is, the book of Joshua is about all the details of moving into the promised land. And one of, the, one of the early confrontations that Israel has is with the city of Jericho. Jericho was a pagan city. Most of, of all that's in Israel at that time before Israel uh, was pagan. And uh, they had practiced things like uh, 
uh, what we would call the black arts. They offered their children on uh, altars of fire. If you can imagine moms and dads taking a little one, and uh, uh, what they would do is they would offer them to the god Molech, and uh, his arms would be outstretched, and he would be superheated. And they would take that infant and they would lay it on those hot, uh, those hot arms and hands and it would literally fry that baby uh, to death. Or that child, some even older than that. And uh, they were pagan and that was rampant throughout uh, Israel. So if you ever wonder, why did God wipe that out? There comes a point in time where God says enough is enough is enough. And they didn't have like, now this wasn't like a couple of weeks, this was the history of their nation. And by the way, there's a lesson for America there too. But at any rate, uh, so God says it's time for you to, to go into the land that I've designated for you, and there is, uh, 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 but you will still be responsible to deal and confront those who are enemies uh, to God. And so that's what we see happening. This is time finally for them to move in. But it is a story of victory. And all through this book, you see victory, and that victory is tied very closely to their faith. And so I want to show you some things today that I think will be helpful in that regard. Now, walled cities were not unusual in the ancient world. In fact, if you go anywhere in the ancient world, you'll see the remains of cities that had big walls around them. In fact, when we go to Jerusalem, there still remains of the wall, the city. Actually, the wall that is there is a more modern wall. Uh, but it had been built several times over the uh, centuries and millennia uh, around the city. That was very common, and a wall did a couple of things. A wall secured the people that were on the inside, and a wall prevented people on the outside that they didn't want in from coming. It was a, it was a pretty effective way. At the time, it was the best means of protecting uh, cities. Now, Israel, in this case, is facing the walls of Jericho. They know they are to take this land, that God has told them that, but there's a wall. And so God comes up with a plan, as we'll talk about uh, here in just a bit. But the walls that they were facing were beyond their capabilities to knock down. Physically, they couldn't, they couldn't, others had not, and they couldn't either physically. But the walls that they faced were not beyond the capabilities of God. There's never been a wall that could stand up to God. Not one. And I want to tell you something, that's true in your personal life as well. You see, it's possible that you may be here today and the devil or the enemy of your soul has erected some walls in your life and those walls are keeping you from the life of faith and victory. You say, what do you mean? Well, perhaps the devil has built in your life a wall of fear and that fear has shut you down. Perhaps the devil has built a wall in your life of worry. You ever battle with worry? Does it ever control you or consume you? And maybe that's what's happened to you, and the devil has got a, a wall, a stronghold, a fortress in your life there. It could be a wall of habitual sin, you know, where uh, you, you've battled this sin so long that you've just given up. You've just thrown your hands up in the air, and you've given up the good fight of faith. It may be that the devil has erected a wall of unforgiveness. There's some people that you need to forgive, and you haven't forgiven. They hurt you. They wounded you in some way, and you haven't forgiven. And the devil has seized upon that, and he's used that unforgiveness to build a wall that has turned your heart hard. Maybe a wall of bitterness that the devil has built in, in your life, you know, and, and, and as a result, he's stolen your joy in the Lord. 
I, I don't know. I'm, I probably didn't mention a lot of other walls that there could be in our lives. And you know what the wall is in your life, if there's one there. You know what that wall is that seems to be impenetrable, and it's caused you at times to lose, lose heart, and sometimes just to want to give up and throw in and chunk the towel and say, I just can't do this thing. I can't do the Christian thing, the, the walk with God thing. Well, today I want to tell you that faith is the key to victory. Faith is the key to victory. And I want to show you three insights from our, our, our passage in Joshua in particular today uh, and the victory that God gave Joshua and the children of Israel. The first thing I want you to see is found in verse 1 and 2, and it is this. There, there was, uh, 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 their faith was based in a definite promise. Their faith was based in a definite promise. That's the first thing. We see it in verse 1 and verse 2 of this chapter. I told you to keep your Bibles open. Look at verse 2. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. I've given it into your hand. Warren Wiersbe once said this. It's a great line. He said, we live by God's promises, not by God's explanations. Do you get that? We live by his promises. And this was a promise in verse 2. He says, I've given them. Joshua, you let the people know, and I want you to know, I have given the enemy into your hands. I have given this city to you. That is a fact. It's not an idea. Dr. Everett Storms one time estimated that there are almost 7,500 promises in the Bible. Now watch this, that are from God to us. There are more promises, but specifically he said there are 7,500 promises that are from God to us. Now listen, the problem is we don't know most of the promises of God. But if we want the promises of God, we've got to understand what he says in his word. You, you understand how this started? This was a definite promise. Why do we know that? It was from the mouth of God. He had told Joshua that it was a word from God. That's where the promises come from. Now, you and I have this book full of promises. And that's why we have to stay in this book. We stay in this book so that we will know what the promises of God are. We stay in this book and so we can draw near to God because when we know what the promises are, then we make another choice, and that is to believe them. And almost always when God makes a promise to us, the promise says, uh, here's my promise to you, but here's what you have to do. Now think about this. God could have said, here's my promise, uh, uh, Joshua. I'm, I have given this land uh, to you guys. He could have said that, and then and said, you don't have to do anything but just walk into the land. He could have done that, and occasionally God will do things like that. But in this case, guess what? They still had responsibilities, didn't they? They had the assurance of God's Word. They had a definite promise, I have given this land to you, but they still had to go in and obey Him, right? I'll talk more about that in just a minute. The good news is, though, when God makes a promise, well, let me back up and ask you a question. Has somebody, have you ever had somebody make a promise to you and they didn't come through on it? Have you ever had that happen? I bet everybody in this room has had that happen at some point in time. A promise. Our world is full of promise makers that don't often come, uh, don't always come through in promise. By the way, in the world of politics, isn't it amazing? You know, we're in this election year thing, and isn't it amazing all the promises everybody is making? If you elect me, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And rarely does someone do what they promised to do. And we've kind of come to expect it, right? Well, they say this, but they're not going to do that. They may, but we've come to expect. That just seems to be the way that it operates. But I want to tell you something about God's promises. God has never made a promise that is too good to be true. 
God has never made a promise that's too good to be true. Every promise that God has made is true. Now, the difference is, will, we, will our faith allow that promise to become a reality in our life? And that's a huge difference. Spiritual victory begins with the definite promises of God's Word. By the way, Joshua was not confused about what to do. God said, here's, here's my promise. I've given the land to you. That's my word to you, Joshua. Trust that. Joshua wasn't saying, now, hey, people, let's try to take this land. This, let's try to take Jericho if we can. Uh, I think we can do it, but uh, let, let's, let's just give it our best shot. That's not what Joshua said. He, listen, he was able to say, hey, people, got some good news. There's an enemy behind the walls. We can't bust through the walls, but God has a plan, and God has given us a sure word. So we got it. It's ours if we'll just do what God says. It was a definite promise from God. And by the way, any wall that's in your life is not, that's not in the will of God. And the reason that Joshua had the promise is because the walls were going to come down because that was part of the plan of God. That was the will of God. And I want to just say in your personal life, any wall that has been built in your life that is not within the will of God is a wall that needs to be torn down. Any wall that the enemy has built up in your life that is not in the will of God is a wall that needs to come down. And in dealing with our walls, we have to begin by recognizing them. You know, uh, we live in an age of denial. And uh, you know, sometimes Christians do that with things or issues. They say, I just don't want to deal with it. I, I don't want to have, but I want to tell you, if, you want, if the walls are going to fall, you're going to have to deal with the walls and you're going to have to deal with them God's way. So you say, well, how do I get there? Well, let me give you three things. Okay, listen to these very carefully because they go together and the order is important. Number one, how do you get there? First of all, you get there because you understand the Word of God reveals the will of God. All right, we started with the Word of God in verse 2, right? The Word of God. And what does the Word of God do? It reveals the will of God. What does that mean? It means the Word of God helps us understand what needs to be done. All right? Now listen, God wants you to know what he wants. God wants you to know what he wants. And he, the way he does that is he reveals it to us. He wants to make it clear. Again, Joshua clearly understood what God wants. He understood what the will of God was. The word of God reveals the will of God for us. Number two, the will of God reveals the work of God. Are y'all with me? The Word of God reveals the will of God, so we know what needs to be done. Okay, I know what His will is. I know what needs to be done. He's made that clear. And then when I've got that, the will of God reveals the work of God. In other words, God tells us what needs to be done, and then He tells us how it needs to be done. What needs to be done, and then uh, uh, how we are to do what needs to be done. God will make the process clear. He'll make it plain. All right? So the Word of God reveals the will of God. The will of God reveals the work of God. And listen to this. The work of God reveals the resources of God. That is what you need 
to get it done. And you know what? God revealed the resources to them once they understood the will and once they uh, uh, understood what the work, uh, uh, the work that would be required. Then God said, and here's how you're going to do it. Now, listen to this. I want to tell you something that's very helpful. God will never require you to do something in his will that he will not equip you to do. Now, the resources are revealed there. It may sound a little strange, but the resources, you know what the resources were? <clears throat> Your voices. Shout, trumpets and shouting. Doesn't sound like a great military strategy, does it? But that's because with God, if God be for you, who can be against you? And there's a reason, by the way, God uh, said, I, this is your part, th the rest of it's my part. There's a reason, and I'll talk about that a little later in the message. So, and by the way, God's work against the walls was not a complicated process. But here's what happens. Faith, I trust God. I trust God and what he's doing. Faith puts the promises of God into motion. And they had to step out, didn't they? They had to step, really, literally, they had to step and walk around before they began to see the victory that God had for them. So they're given a promise of victory. But secondly, they also recognize that their faith must be committed to a detailed process. They had to have faith in a detailed process. We see that reflected, I think, in verse 8. We didn't read verse 8, but keep your Bible open. You can look there, and it says, And just as Joshua had commanded the people, again in verse 10, but Joshua commanded the people, and then over in verse 16 it says, And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Do this, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Here, here's, here's what I mean by the detailed process. God had very specific instructions for them. They didn't make the instructions up. They didn't, they didn't try to figure out how to do it. God had very specific, and so it says that Joshua commanded the people. And if you'll follow that in those verses, you'll see something. You'll see in verse 8, verse 10, and then you'll see it fleshed out in verse 16. You'll see what, what God does. He says, this is how you're going to do it. So God didn't say, hey, by the way, I've, I've given you the resources to do it. I hope you can figure it out. God didn't say, because now that you, you have my word, my promise, and now that you know my will, which is for you to take the city of Jer Jericho, then you got to come up with the strategy. See, he said, no, i got a detailed process. And the process involved walking around the city. It involved the ark going in front. It involved the, the, the religious leaders blowing the trumpet and the people shouting. Now, we don't know what they shouted. The Bible isn't clear about what they shouted. But what would you think they shouted? Some people said, fall down, fall down. I don't think they shouted fall down at all. I think they were shouting praises to God. Praise to God, praise to God. I think that's what they shouted. We don't know, and I don't know that it matters, but they had specific, I guarantee you, they knew what they were supposed to shout. And so God had some very specific uh, 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 details about how this was going to happen. So God, you, you know, you've heard this phrase before, the devil is in the details. Have y'all heard that before, the devil's in the details? I don't think that's true. I, I mean, he may get involved in some of the details. I think God is the one who's involved in the details. Amen? 
I mean, I know that's true in my life because the other day I wanted a Krispy Kreme donut. And I pulled in the parking lot. There wasn't an empty space. And so I know God is involved in detail because I began to pray that God would open up a space for me. And you know what? Immediately after my fifth trip around the building, <laughs> a space opened up. Look, he's, he's Lord of the details. And God uses the details. And we have to keep in mind that there are no shortcuts to the will of God. Listen, don't miss that. Because we, we live in a fast-paced age. We can get everything now uh, immediately. Uh, uh, but, but I want you to understand there are no shortcuts in the will of God. You can be well-intentioned for God and yet neglect His process, the process of His will. And by the way, when you neglect the detailed process that God has for your life in His will, it doesn't change His will. It just affects your life. There were some people like Abraham and Sarah. Gosh, we hold them in such high esteem. I preached uh, two messages in this, Sarah, uh, this series on them. They're, they were incredible. He's the father of the faithful. You know, the, at, at 100 years old, they had a, a son, a son of the promise, but they tried to help God out long before that. And so they had Ishmael. Now, their intentions were good, Amen. They were going to help God out. The God is going to. We want to make sure we, God pulls this off. So let's let's help him out. He's got himself in a bind, and so they tried to help God out. They were. They, it was a shortcut, but it wasn't authorized by God. Never confuse and say, I, "Here's a short." God, I know that's what you said, but I think I can pull it off this way. When God gives a detailed process, take the detailed process seriously. And uh, we see that Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out, well-intentioned. How about Saul? You remember Saul, King Saul? Do you know he tried to circumvent the process, the detailed process of God? He got impatient with God. He was about to go into a military campaign. He needed to, to a sacrifice. And, and Samuel, he thought, was late. Samuel was on God's time. Samuel was operating by the detailed process of God. Now, when Samuel showed up, the man of God, that's how he's referred to. And when he showed up, Saul had already acted as a priest. He wasn't a priest. He was a king. And he wasn't a priest, and God knew he wasn't a priest, and, but he tried to act, well, I'll go ahead and do what Samuel would do if he were here. And you know what it did? It was a shortcut, attempted shortcut, and it cost Saul the kingdom. Then there was a guy, a good guy, I mean a good guy named Uzzah. Y'all know about Uzzah? Had a weird name, but Uzzah was a good guy. You know, you know who Uzzah was? Uzzah was a man who tried to steady the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know God had very detailed plans and instructions for how an, the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried? I mean, it was detailed. Not only was the Ark itself uh, detailed, but even how they carried it. They carried it with poles a certain way, and the priests were the ones that carried it, and only the priests, and this sort of thing. And they're, tra they're taking it, by the way, on a cart, because they had forgotten the detailed instructions of God. They're moving it on a cart, and they must have hit some uh, bump in the road on the circle or something like that. And, and the ark began to slip off the cart, and there's this good guy that's going along and, and named Uzzah, and he sees it, and he rushes over to steady the ark, the Bible says, and God struck him down and killed him. 
You say, man, he's a good guy. He was trying to do a good thing. Yeah, but it wasn't God's thing. By the way, y'all don't worry about Uzzah. You're going to see him. I firmly believe you get to heaven and and you're going to see Uzzah and and you're going to say, man, that was weird. And he's going to say, you think it was weird. (laughs) But he was trying to help God out. Uh, Does that make sense to you? He was trying to do a good thing. It just wasn't the thing God had had prescribed. And, And so my point to you is the detailed instructions of God are detailed on purpose. And that's why we are to follow them. Or we'll be like one of those who tried to help God out. The detailed process to bring the walls of Jericho down might seem a little illogical, too. Think about it. I mean, okay, guys, come together. Here's what we're going to do. There's some bad news. There's an army in there, some, some rough people in there, and they will kill us if they can get a hold of us. So here's what we're going to outsmart them. We're going to blow trumpets and shout and walk around the building until it falls. Now, you might say, <laughs> I know, that's a little unusual. That's a little different. Um, is it okay if I keep my spear with me? You know, because it's, it's not orthodox, is it? I, I mean, if you're going to tell somebody to, okay, we're going to take the city, how are you going to do it? We're going to scream and shout at them. And, uh, and that'll make them, that'll make it collapse. The, the, and then we'll just walk right in. You wouldn't say that. You would, you would muster up the, the best, uh, 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 probably military type strategy you could to say, here's how we'll take the city. We're going to do it for God. But that's not what Joshua made sure they did it exactly the way God said. Now, let me just give you a a, a bit of help. If you're a child of God, you need to be very careful in letting the world tell you how God wants you to do something. And a lot of times I've seen Christians, I've seen the church be more concerned about how the world tells them to live and operate than how God has told them to live and operate. And it is a prescription for disaster spiritually. And and by the way, I'm not fussing at them. I'm just simply saying this. Don't ever believe a person that doesn't know God can tell you how you ought to operate for God. And yet we do, don't we? Well, we don't want to offend. We don't want to offend. Uh, The goal isn't to offend. It is to live authentically for Jesus Christ knowing that the world isn't going to understand that. And the world, do you think there were some conversations going on inside the wall as these people were looking at Israel marching around this? Don't you think they were saying, saying, look at those religious nuts. And you know, just wait, just wait, in just a minute, they're going to blow the trumpet and everybody's going to shout. And then they're all going back to, to their tents. Do you think probably conversations inside the walls of Jericho were going, those people are nutcases. So don't, be, don't ever be surprised if you live authentically for Jesus. I mean the real thing, authentically for Jesus. And Jesus and his word determines the operation of your life. Don't ever be surprised if the world looks at that and says, you're a nutcase. I've told you on a couple of occasions over the years that I had a, I had a lady in our family, and she told my mom I was called in the ministry when I was uh, uh, 14 years old, and, and I studied my Bible frequently, and I told people about Jesus. And, and my, my, this family member, she's 
dead, and I believe she's in heaven, but she was far more religious than she was anything else. And she told my mom, I won't ever forget this, she told my mom, she said, you better watch Ray. He's going to become a fanatic. And you know what? I did. And I still am. But her word was religion will make you go crazy. And she was probably living testimony of that. But... <clears throat> Just saying, I'm just saying. Uh, here's the deal. Don't ever be surprised. Sometimes even people in your own family don't get your devotion to God. All right? And never be surprised if the, a lost world doesn't. And so we have to be careful we don't let them determine what God wants us to do. We, ha- we can't confuse logic our logic with God's ways. God does what, what he does often in order to confound the wisdom of man. And you say, why does he do that? Why does he do that? Why doesn't he make everything just work so logical? I'm very analytical. I'm very logical. It would be so much easier for me sometime if I could go one, two, three, four, five. This is why God did what he did. But I tell you, there are a lot of times we don't know exactly why God chose to operate the way he did, but God can tell us why he does that. And you know what he said? He says, God, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Do you know why God does that? He says he chooses the thing that isn't wise to confound those who are so smart. He sometimes uses the thing that seems so foolish to accomplish his purpose. Why does he do that? Well, essentially he does it, Paul says, because he won't, listen, this is very important, He doesn't want anybody to be able to take credit for it but himself. And you see, if it's always logical, and I've told you this several times, in fact, I think it's a key theme to remember in this whole walk of faith, is that anything we can pull off for God, we don't need him. And so God will use foolish things, weak things, often to accomplish his purpose. Why? So that we can't take credit for it. We can just say, I was a part of it. I got to be a part of it, but I didn't do it. I couldn't have, I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have figured that out. So he lets us be a part of it. But, so what is God teaching us in his detailed process? Let me give you two or three things that God teaches us through the detailed process, processes that he calls us to. Number one, he teaches us patience. They had seven days, seven days of marches. You see, God has a timeline to accomplish his purpose. And frankly, that timeline involves you. He has a timeline for your life. Uh, So he's teaching us patience, teaching us to be faithful. It doesn't move fast enough. Uh, Does it ever move fast enough for us? Rarely. But he has a timeline, and that timeline is, is not only about his purpose, but it's about your involvement in his purpose. I'll tell you something else he's teaching us. He's teaching us to trust his leadership. Faith that leads to obedience is saying to God, I trust you. I trust that you will not lead me wrong. I trust that you will lead me the right way. Now, let me tell you something. You, maybe you're here today, and you've got some decision you've got to make in your life, and you're, you're going this way and this way and trying to discern what is God's will for this. Alice and I are praying about a decision that we have to make right now. And so we're praying, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Uh, uh, she'll say to me, has God given you a word? I say, no. Has God given you a word? She'll say, no. I say, keep praying. Keep seeking God. Waiting. 
Well, you have those options. Let me tell you something. Did you know God has never come to a fork in the road? Now think about what that means. A fork in the road means you get there and you have to go, do we go this way or do we go this way? Yogi Berra had the famous line. He said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. But God has never come to a fork in the road. God has never come to a place where he said, God has never done that. And so that's why stay up next to him and he will never lead you wrong. He will always lead you the right way. And if you're facing some kind of dilemma or some kind of, uh, of decision, stay close to him and follow him, and he will make the right path known to you. So he teaches us those things, to trust his leadership. I'll tell you a third thing he teaches us uh, about his detailed pro- or with his detailed process. He teaches us, listen, that he is smarter, wiser, and more powerful than we are. That's what he wants to teach us in the detailed process. And that's why it'll often put us through a process that doesn't make rational sense or a process that we could have never pulled off ourselves. He wants us to know, I am smarter than you. I think I've told you the story over the years, but when our daughter was like 15 years old and she would, we'd be, she, uh, one of the things she always did on Sundays is she rode home with me from church and she'd wait so she and I could ride home together and she said to me, uh, I remember early on, and she was asking about something. She said, Daddy, can I, can I do this? Or I forget what it was exactly. I said, no, sweetheart, you're not going to do it. And she said, but Daddy, why not? Why not, Daddy? I said, well, and I thought, God, give me, give me a round. I knew she shouldn't do it. You know, sometimes it's just hard to, to articulate it right. And so I said, Lord, what do I say to that? And then he put it on me. And I said to her, I said, let me tell you why, sweetie. I said, because I'm smarter than you are. And she said, what? I said, no, it's really true. I said, 40-something years trumps 15. I said, I'm smarter than you. I said, it may not always be this way, but right now it is. And so, no, because I'm sorry. And then I really blew her mind. And And I said, while we're talking about it, I said, by the way, This is going to blow your mind, sweetheart. But I said, your mother is smarter than you too. And by the way, we used that to the point where she would would ask something. I'd say, nope, nope. And I said, I I would say, you want to know why? And she'd say, I know, I know. You're smarter than I am. And I would say, you got it. I just, I'm smarter right now. Uh, Well, the, the point is, God is smarter than us. He really is. He's wiser and he's stronger. Then let me give you a fourth thing that God is teaching us through the detailed process. And he's trying to teach us that the product is worth the process. The product is worth it. That's what he's trying to teach us. We reap a godly reward and we see miracles. God has a process. And on the other side of patient faith is a product that is so worth trusting him for. Now, if you're up against a wall today, listen, the process of God uh, requires patient faith, put into motion, that means to obey, and at the right time, God will deal with the wall, and he'll bring glory to himself. So, victory comes when we put our faith in the promises of God, you got that? 
It comes when we put our faith in the process, the detailed process of God. And the last idea I want to give you is that our faith shapes, shapes us for a decisive payoff from God. Verse 20, we read earlier, says, And the wall fell down flat, and they captured the city. You see, when we begin with God's promises, we start with God's promises, and we obey God's detailed processes, we always end up with God's decisive payoff. We'll always end up with his payoff. What they couldn't do physically, by faith and obedience, God did for them. And never forget, what you are incapable of has no limitation on God. Matthew 19, 26, a man came to Jesus and said, uh, would, you, would you heal my, my servant? And Jesus said, if you'll believe, and he said, if it's possible for you to do it, I believe. And Jesus said, if it's possible, he said, with man, this is impossible. But he said, but with God, all things are possible. You see, the things that you and I see and say, these things are so impossible, God says, for who? They're impossible for you. With, with man, these things are impossible. But never let that cause you to doubt the possibility with God. That's why faith really is the victory. I grew up and we used to sing an old hymn called Faith is the Victory. Faith is the victory. Faith that overcomes the world. It really is the secret. Faith working obediently to the instructions of God brings about the victory of God. You say, now, well, what is the victorious payoff? Well, simply put, the payoff is that we get to participate in the divine work of God. Now, don't underestimate that. You say, okay, yeah, yeah, give me something better than that. Look, do you understand what a privilege it is for God to say, I'm going to work through you and I'm going to work in you? I want you to understand how, what an incredible honor it is for God to say, I'm working in you and through you. I, I am working uh, to bring glory to myself through you. I'm going to tell you something. In heaven, there are going to be stories, I believe, told about how God allowed us to be his partner. I remember that time God was doing something. I didn't understand it till afterward, but God, I got to be a partner with God. That's a very significant payoff. The second payoff is that we get to see the divine power of God. It's unmatched. It's indescribable. And when we're following the processes of God for our lives, battling walls, and we get to see the power of God. And then I'll tell you the payoff is that we get to experience the divine favor of God. I don't know of anybody that doesn't want the favor of God. God loves to, listen, God loves to favor those who walk with him by faith according to his word, obeying his instructions, the process. He loves to favor though. Second Chronicles 16, 9, I learned as a teenager, for the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking one whose heart is wholly his, that he may strongly support him. That means favor. God loves to favor those who walk by faith and obey his word. Look at verse 27 of chapter 6. It's the last verse in the chapter. So the Lord was with Joshua. 
And look at this. And his fame was in all the land. God favored him. There is a race each year in France called the Tour de France. I don't know if you've seen it before. I, I haven't watched much in the last couple of years, but I used to watch it uh, in the summer. I used to love watching it. And it's a pretty grueling uh, bicycling event. Uh, one rider described it as the annual madness. It, the race covers over 2,000 miles, takes about three weeks uh, for these riders, including some of France's most difficult and mountainous terrain. They eat and drink on the run. They experience extremes between heat and cold. And one rider said to train for the event, they put in uh, a, a bicycling just to train for this Tour de France over 22,000 miles a year in bicycling. And what kind of prize money? Can you imagine what kind of prize money does, it call, uh, does a person receive to, to put themselves through all of this sort of thing? Well, last year's winner, 2019 winner, received $556,000. Now, that's not paltry, is it? I mean, that's not paltry. But compared to other professional elite athletes of the same caliber, it's not very significant. So they asked, well, so why, did, why would you do this, uh, this particular event? And they said, it's not the money. The winner said this. He said, it is knowing that on that last day, you get to sweep through the arc of triumph in Paris. And everybody knows you're the champion, and you get to put on the famous jersey, and it's yours. I want to tell you something. Do you realize that there's an arc of triumph out there waiting on us? There's an ark of triumph out there waiting on us. And all of us, by faith, can sweep through that ark of triumph one day and receive the prize of the crown of righteousness. All of us can do that. If you go back to chapter 11, you notice something, and that is that chapter 11 ends before chapter 12 starts. How about that? But you know, we're the ones that actually, when they were collecting the Scriptures and putting the canon of Scripture together, we're the ones that, that put in the chapter breaks and the, the verse uh, uh, identifications just to help us so that we could... And scholars did that as they brought the Scriptures together to try to help us uh, uh, navigate it better. But chapter 12 is really a continuation of the thought expressed in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is, is our inspiration for faith, isn't it? All of these men and women, these saints who've come before us, chapter 12 is our motivation to keep going. That's why, notice how it starts off. It says, therefore, seeing that we are encircled or encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race. The dynamic is this. It's the picture of a stadium or, or an arena. And the people in that arena are the people in chapter 11 and many others that we don't even know by name. And they have run the race. They have swept through the arch of triumph. And what they're really doing is they're saying, because they have, so can you. Because they've done it, you can too. And, and, and the picture is that they're in the stands cheering you. Go, 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 go. We're in your corner. We're in your camp. We did it. You can too. You can sweep through by faith and receive the crown of righteousness. It doesn't matter where you started. 
See, it doesn't matter where you start at all. I'm going to tell you a story as I close. I had the privilege uh, this uh, past Friday to go deep sea fishing. I got to go out with my son-in-law and a man in our church sitting right back here, Ricky Treadwell and Pam. They, Ricky had been trying to get me on a fishing trip for two years, I guess, Ricky, something like that, and Chuck. And two years ago, I couldn't go out with them, and uh, I had uh, melanoma surgery, and the doctor wouldn't release me to go reel in fish and that sort of stuff. And consequently, they went out without me, I might add, and, uh, and caught nothing, I don't think, or much of nothing. They got sick as a dog, all of them did, and they came back in. That's what the Lord does when you, well, <laughs> I don't know. But, but payback, too, I, never mind, I, I'll get there. But we went out about 40, mile, 40 miles out in the Gulf, Rick, it wasn't it? Something like that, 40 miles, to do red snapper fishing. We tried last year, but the weather didn't let, let at least my schedule in the weather. And, and so, um, at any rate, but I told my son-in-law, Luke, and uh, they, they came down so Luke could go out. Luke and I went uh, uh, down, and on, on Thursday night, we all went out to eat, and uh, I got some bad food, but that's Okay. Because next morning we went out on the boat, we, we went out 40 miles, and, um, and we're fishing. And you have a two, uh, uh, the limit of red snappers, too. And so we're, we get to the place, finally, and we begin to drop, and we're fishing, and we're, we're pulling the fish out. And, um, and uh, again, you know, uh, putting them in the cooler and that sort of stuff. And um, I'd landed a, I don't know, probably a 10, 12-pound uh, red snapper and and the other guys were landing 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 uh, pound or something like that. And uh, then all of a sudden I, I hooked a, a, a red snapper and it was a big fish. And uh, I'm reeling that thing in. I can't hardly, in fact, it takes the other guys over there just holding the rod. It was taking some line out. And and uh, I, I knew at that point in time I had, I had hooked Moby Dick. And uh, or so it felt, and this uh, fish is hard, and I'm I'm grinding out trying to, and they're screaming at me, real, and I'm saying I'm screaming back, I am really, you you know, and that, that sort of stuff, and uh, all of that. We finally get this uh, fish up, and it is a probably out of the water about a 25 pound red snapper. Now, if you're not a fisherman, you wouldn't know that, but that is a mega snapper. In fact, Ricky, I found out today that right now the record in the Gulf of Mexico. This season is 22 pounds. I now own the record. <laughs> By the way, it's the largest red snapper they had ever pulled into their boat. I own that record. By the way, the picture makes it look about like this and about like this. But the reality is that fish is like this <laughs> and about like this. It is, it is massive. And uh, so I pulled that thing in, and it really was a big old fish, and I was... Uh, I was proud, but I tell you, I was whipped after I got it in, and there are reasons I was whipped, but we got it in, and, and we got our quota, and we headed back in, and uh, by the way, the fish was so big, another guy, another fisherman came over and asked, could I get my picture made with that fish? <laughs> and uh, it really was that, that, that big, neat. So what a great way to, to finish a day, you know, to come in, and I, I was able to harass these guys who are much better fishermen than me. And uh, I, will, I will hold that over their head until they get one bigger. Just the way it is. But I need to back up and tell you how that day started. Because <laughs> it didn't start out quite the way it finished. 
I told you I got some bad food the night before, and I knew when I laid In fact, I was telling Luke on the way from the restaurant back to uh, Pam and Ricky's, I said, you know what, uh, that dish didn't settle with me. And uh, I have almost 60 years, well, I have 60 years of knowing what settles with me and what doesn't. And I woke up about 10 after 4 in the morning. My stomach was really hurting. But I thought, well, that's just, you know, sometimes you, at, at this age you just have that and that sort of stuff. But, so we, we headed on out the boat, got out in the water about 5 or 5.15, I guess, and headed, uh, we got a 40-mile drive on a boat. And uh, the seas weren't as calm as they could be, but they weren't horrible. But you were banging around in, in the boat. And about an hour in, uh, I decided that I would... Uh, chum the water. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I did three times. And uh, the fish must have followed us. I'm sure that big one followed us. But I was about an hour in and they were worried because they thought, man, what are we going to do? And Ricky was kind enough. He was thinking, I may have to take Brother Ray back and drop him off. And everything. But, but it, wasn't, it wasn't seasickness. It was food sickness. Now, the waves didn't help. But I, you know, I was in I was in Tampa Bay for 15 years, and I I never I've never had any kind of seasickness, and I got better. And if you get seasick, you don't get better, at least not on that trip. You don't get better until you get ashore. And I got better, but I was drained and everything. And then the big fish came along, and I pulled him in. And then I said, I've done. I got my limit anyway. I'm done, y'all fish, and that sort of thing. And they were pretty much done too. But we headed back in. Now, so the day started off pretty rough for me. But let me tell you, it finished pretty good. And I tell you that story to say, never forget, it's not where you start. It's where you finish that counts. That's why Paul, who tried to wipe out the church, could say at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. He didn't start well, but he finished well. When it comes to this whole matter of victory, it's not where you started. It's where you finish. Remember Abraham and Sarah I was talking about? They didn't start so well on this whole thing about Isaac, but they finished well. It isn't where you start that counts. It's where you finish. And today I want to remind you, I don't care what kind of walls are in your life, it doesn't matter if you say, I've run up against a wall time and time and time and time again, and I can't seem to break through. It doesn't matter what your experience has been. What it matters is what your experience will be. The end product. And it may mean that you're going to have to say, God, you give me the detailed process, and I'll follow it. Whether it makes sense to me or not, I will follow it. I will obey you. Now, how does that all start? Well, it starts, first of all, you've got to have a relationship with Christ. If you're going to finish well, you can't have religion. You've got to have a relationship. And I want to offer you that opportunity today. Would you, as we close, would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about in this place. Those of you who are joining us by television and live stream, I just want to remind you that you can do exactly what I'm going to uh, tell this uh, audience here to do. If you're not sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven, if you're not sure you have a relationship with Christ, you can call on him right now. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer like this from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
in spite of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you died for my sin. And so I receive you. I invite you to come into my life and to be my Savior. I give my life to you. Now, Father, I pray for those who have prayed that prayer, watching us on live stream uh, all over uh, the place, Father, and those in this building that have prayed that prayer today. I pray, Lord, that you will uh, help them to recognize just what you've done for them in that prayer, that you've begun a new process, a new life for them. God, help them to face their walls with faith. And then, Lord, I pray for those who are in this place that know you, but they've been running up against some wall in their life, whatever it may be. Lord, and they've lost heart. They want to give up. They want to throw up their hands. God, would you renew their commitment to trust you, to believe and, and follow your processes, to learn what you want them to learn, Father, and allow your mighty hand to work on their behalf, to knock down the walls and find victory that you want for them. Lord, would you, would you take us to the next place spiritually for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.